0: Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. We're glad you've joined us today. We're, we're glad that you've been part, you're part of our online experience. If we've never met before, I'd love to for you to reach out and connect. We'd love to know that you're out there. You can just shoot an email off to roy at myapa.ca. That's my Arthur Pentecostal Assembly, myapa.ca. I'd love to be able to connect with you and see if there's any way in which we can serve you. Well, we've started a new series called four cups and last week we started with with week one if you haven't seen that you can always go back and watch either on Facebook and YouTube would be helpful as we move forward in this four-part series called four cups well a greedy old miser died alone and in his will he divided his fortune amongst his pastor his doctor and his lawyer But he had one final request. His request was that each man would get $10 million each, but he wanted to take the entire fortune with him to the the afterlife. And so the only three people he could trust, he allotted the, the $10 million to each of them, and he asked them to come to his funeral and put the $10 million in his coffin and make sure that it was sealed and lowered into the ground with him. Well, on the day of the funeral, unsurprisingly, the pastor, the doctor, and the lawyer were the only ones that were in attendance at that funeral. And so as they gathered around the coffin, the pastor spoke first. And he said, I'm sorry, gentlemen, I could not fully honor our friend's dying wish. His money can do nothing for him in the afterlife, but here on earth it can still do some good. So I confess I donated one million dollars to some charitable organizations that are reputable. and, and And i also took the uh, another million and donated it towards missionaries that will be able to spread the the word of god throughout the world but look and he opened a bag of cash and he said i still have the remaining eight million dollars i trust this will be enough to satisfy our friend and justify me before the lord and he dumped the money into the coffin well the doctor spoke next and he said i too have partially betrayed the trust of our friend i mean i feel a little guilty because i can't condone bearing all this money when there's so many people that are suffering so i gave two million dollars to my hospital in order to buy and update uh, more equipment of some of our older outdated equipment and i donated another two million dollars to doctors without borders so that they could help countless lives in the developing world but i've brought the other six million and he opened up his bag and he dumped the cash into the coffin well the lawyer glared at the other two men with a stern expression and he said how dare you both of you ought to be ashamed of yourselves it's not a question of what his money could do or could not be could not be used for it's the question of legal and moral responsibility our poor friend wasn't benevolent or generous or even very nice that caused everyone he knew to abandon him Everyone but us three were the only three in the world that he trusted to honor his last request. Now this he produced an envelope from his coat pocket and said, This is why I leave this check for the full $10 million with our dearly departed friend. Well, we begin this series, like I said, or we, we continue this series called Four Cups, where we're looking at this question, is there more? Is there more to this life than the mundane? Is there there more than just accumulating as much wealth as you possibly can before you die? Is there more that God wants for us? And how do we discover that more? Is there more? Well, I I pray today, if you're struggling with that question, that that God will find you where you are and and help answer that question for you. Last week when we started this, this series, we looked at these four cups that the, the Jews would lay out during Passover. And they would, during the Passover meal, they would celebrate the remembrance of the Jewish people's exile or their liberation from slavery in Egypt. And so Jewish people then and today still will gather once a year to celebrate Passover. On the first night, they share a meal called Seder. And, and this Passover feast involves a lot of food. Some wine and prayer and reflection and celebration of what God has done for them. Part of this feast involves the Jews receiving four cups of wine. And each cup represents a different promise. Four different I wills, as the ancient Jews called it, that God promises in the book of Exodus. Now for modern day Christians, we call this communion where we gather, usually once a month, we gather together and we break bread and that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And we drink juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for our salvation. And we looked at this scripture last week, but let's look at it again in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, where these four I wills come from. It says, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you, from your slavery in Egypt, and again, it sounds like God's saying the same thing. I will, I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from your slavery. But it's different because God says, "I will free you from your oppression." That's that's salvation. I will free you from your old life. God saved you. He saved you from the the consequences of your sin. He says, "Then I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt." And that's where we're going to focus our time on today, because God's saying, "I'm going to free you. I'm going to save you." Then I'm going to rescue you from the slavery that you still hold in your heart. He basically says, now that I have taken you out of Egypt, I am now going to focus on taking the Egypt out of you. Now, if you read the the Exodus story at any point, you will discover that even after the Israelites have left Egypt, anytime things would get hard, they wanted to go back. They would complain to Moses they wanted to go back to slavery because at least in slavery, the suffering that they, that they experienced was something they knew they were comfortable with. But the, it was a lot more comfortable than pushing through the struggles that lay ahead that were the unknown. And then God says, I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. And here's, this is the third I will. This one we're going to go into a little more in depth next week. But redemption is this incredible moment where you realize that you were made on purpose for a purpose. Then he says, I will claim you as my own people, and I will, I will be your God. Then you will know that I am your Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. See, it's here that you put your feet to your purpose. It's here that God uses you to bring about change in this world. Now, last week we looked at how God has saved you. But even after you're saved, you still wrestle with some things. You still struggle with some things. You battle your sin. And as you submit and you obey, you will align your your will to God's heart. He begins doing this transforming work inside of you. And this work is one that is ongoing. It's a continual process. But God said, I will free you from your oppression, and I will rescue you from slavery. Now, you may be put on new ground, he may have parted the waters for you, but you will wander for years if you don't allow God to rescue you from the slavery that still exists in your heart. In Galatians chapter five, verse one, it says, "It is for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free." Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So, if you're going to stay free. You need to understand that we as humans are triune beings, which basically means there are three sides to us. And these three sides all want to lead our actions and our thoughts. These three sides to us are body, soul, and spirit. The body is our physical side, it's the side that craves, desires. This is the side that goes up for a second plate at Thanksgiving when you know you're already full. This is the side that, 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 that looks for physical satisfaction outside the confines of a marriage without considering the cost. This is the side that spends too much time online shopping. This is the side that goes back to the bottle over and over again when you start to feel stress. You don't want your physical side to be the leader of your life. It will get you in trouble, a lot. Then there's the soul. This is the mind, the will, the emotions. This is also a dangerous leader. The soul will often prioritize feelings and emotion, and you'll find yourself wondering, why did I do that? Why did I do the thing that I did? I was, your feelings will often conspire with your physical side to do some incredibly dumb things that are destructive for you. The emotional side often lashes out, seeks revenge. It can often be very volatile. And we will do whatever it takes at times to make our soul feel like it's happy, even if it's temporary. But then there's a spiritual side. This is the part of you that was made in the image of God. This is a part of you that's like God. This is the part we're going to look at. Because what happens often is we spend more time listening to our body and our soul, and we give little attention to our spirit. Often not intentionally. My wife, and Jen, and I watched recently a reality show uh, not that long ago called Race to the Center of the Earth. And in this, this show, there were four teams and they were spread out across the world in four different hemispheres. And their, their goal was, was to get to this center spot, this, this checkpoint at the center of the four spots. Uh, and the first team to arrive there won, I think, a million dollars. And each of these teams were handed a GPS, and they would have to follow the GPS to get to the certain checkpoints. They would have to climb mountains, and they swam rivers, they, they rode bikes through the desert, they, they led dog teams through the snow. They, were, they, they did incredible physical feats that were just unbelievable. And although their GPS showed them generally the direction that they needed to go to get to their, their, their spot they needed to go to, there were always some decisions that needed to be made on how they were going to get around or over or under an obstacle or what route was the best or most efficient or even doable. And so you had these teams of three people. And in each team, there was always seemed to be a natural leader, but a lot of times that was just the person who was louder than everybody else. But the other two people, they were no slouches either. They were, they were leaders in their own worlds. And so the direction they would end up going was often dictated by who was the loudest or who was the most persistent. And just because someone was louder didn't mean that they were right. Because often the, the team would decide to go with that person's uh, advice and they would go for down some path for about an hour only to find out it was the wrong way. It was a dead end. That they should have went the other way. They should have maybe listened to the quieter person. Your body your soul and your spirit are like three members of your team. Your body is often the loudmouth who thinks they're always right and is good at convincing you that this is the right way to go. Your soul can be the persuasive one, convincing you with logic at times, other times making an emotional plea that just moves you to go their way. But your spiritual side is the person who actually knows the way. But we'll often get drowned out by the other two louder voices. And so what our goal is, is to get our body and our soul to work under the leadership of our spirit, which always knows the way. And one of the paths our spirit knows is the way to freedom. Now, the question is, free from what? Well, God wants to give you three things in your freedom. Number one, he wants to give you victory over sin. Now, what is sin? On a very basic level, it's the poor choices that you and I make. See, we don't need anything else. We don't don't need the devil to influence us. We don't need circumstances to dictate anything. We are so good at doing this on our own, getting ourselves into trouble with our own poor choices. But God says, I want you to be free from the sin that keeps tripping you up. That, that thing that you keep doing over and over again that you just can't seem to beat. I want you to be free from that. Let me show you the way. So in Paul, wrote, in, Paul writes in Romans chapter 7 verse 21. He says this, I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but... There's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And so Paul articulates this battle that rages inside of him. His soul and his body are battling with his spirit. And he knows the spirit is right, but the other two are so loud and so persuasive that he ends up time and time again allowing them to drown out his spirit and allows them to lead his life. And then he goes on, verse 24, he says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then verse 25 says, Thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am, I am a slave to sin. And so Paul has this he's this awareness That this is happening he knows it's going on this internal struggle is going on and it doesn't mean it's easy but if we're aware that the spirit is trying to lead if we can hear the voice of the spirit inside us even when we don't always make the right choice god can begin to do a work in us in which we give in to the other voices less and notice i didn't say completely because it's a lifelong work that he's doing we are going to trip up at times we are going to slip up and at times but if we can get to a point where we give into our body and our soul less, and we let the spirit lead the second thing that god wants is this he wants healing from your wounds see if sin is what i do to myself wounds are what others do to me maybe today you're carrying wounds with you i mean you didn't ask for that divorce you didn't cho- choose to grow up in a home that had no father. You didn't ask for that abuse. Someone hurt you, abandoned you, offended you, and you didn't ask for any of it. But you have these scars that you can show. If we heard your story, we, we, would, we would be astonished. But if you don't deal with the wounds of today, you will never discover the freedom of tomorrow. If you don't deal with the wounds, you will never see the potential that God sees in you. You'll never understand what it means to drink from the third cup. You'll get stuck at cup number two. God wants you to be released from the slavery that's inside your heart. You need to deal with the wounds. The third thing that God wants is this. He wants you to have authority over the enemy. Now, some of the things that caused you pain, you caused that. You made some bad decisions, and you're reaping the consequences. I've done it many times. There's no one to blame but me in those circumstances. And some of the wounds that you carry are from other people. Circumstances that were outside of your control. But outside of that, the scriptures are very clear that there is more going on around you than you can see. There's a spiritual realm. This might sound a little kind of hocus-pocus, but the Bible says there is a true enemy of your life. An enemy that wants nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. Kill your potential, steal your joy, destroy your purpose. The devil is always scheming to take you down. But the tools which he uses haven't changed. There was a story a long time ago. There's a rumor that the devil was going out of business. And he was selling his tools to whomever bid the highest for them. So one night, as a sneak preview, he opened the doors to his his, uh, his sale and showcased all his tools to his customers. Hate, jealousy, fear, deceit, and many, many more. But sitting over in the corner in this room was a very old, harmless-looking, and worn-out object, looking at it as though it had been used throughout all eternity. And the customer noticed it had the highest price of all. So somebody asked the devil what the instrument was and why was it so expensive? The devil answered, discouragement. It's the most expensive tool because it's the one I use most. When nothing else works, I can slowly enter into the minds and hearts of people and nobody notices. And once I'm there and get them discouraged, I can do whatever I want with them. This tool is so worn out because I've been using it since the dawn of humanity. And it works with everybody. Very few people know this tool belongs to me. When they get discouraged and they lose hope, they think it's them to blame. Or other people or the world around them. And the devil laughed. People hit obstacles in life. They encounter problems. But when they get discouraged, when they lose hope, it's just me doing my job. Look at what Ephesians 6 verse 10 says. A final word. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord, and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. The devil is always scheming. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. See, it's important to understand that there is an enemy of your soul that wants to take you down. But it's also more important to know that God has given you authority and that the, the devil has no power over you that you don't give him. Writing in a, a monthly periodical, Carl Amardy remembers an experience he had watching a wildcat at the zoo. He says, as I stood there, an attendant entered the cage through a door on the opposite side. He had nothing in his hands but a broom. Carefully closing the door, he proceeded to sweep the floor of the cage. He observed that the worker had no weapon to ward off an attack by the beast. In fact, when he got to the corner of the cage where the wildcat was lying, he poked the animal with the broom. The wildcat hissed at him and then lay down in another corner of the cage. Amardig remarked to the attendant, "'You certainly are a brave man.' "'No, I ain't brave,' he replied as he continued to sleep. "'Well then, that cat must be tame.' No, came the reply. He ain't tame. Well, if you aren't brave and the wildcat isn't tame, then I, I can't understand why he doesn't attack you. Dick said the man chuckled, then he replied with an air of confidence. He said, Mister, he's old and he ain't got no teeth. See, it's true of the devil. He's old and he ain't got no teeth. And so recognizing Some of your wounds are self-inflicted, and some come from others. There are some that you just can't explain that come from an enemy that is trying to come at you. But he's old, and he has no teeth. Because God is giving you the power to overcome, you don't have to fall for his tactics. You you don't have to allow him to divide and conquer. You don't have to to allow him to put that seed of doubt in your mind. You can rebuke that ounce of discouragement that you have, that that thought that you're not good enough. And you can choose today to put on the whole armor of God and believe the things that God has said about you. Which leads us to this second cup. Romans chapter 8 gives us this blueprint how we find freedom from the slavery of our hearts. In Romans 8 chapter 1 it says and this is so good. This is worth tuning into today just for this verse. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. See this condemnation is a huge word. It's another tool of the enemy. But Paul says if you belong to Jesus there is no condemnation. There is no shame. If you want to discover the promise of cup three, you have to grasp this verse fully. You have to understand that if you came here today and you've got shame and you've got guilt and you've got condemnation, and maybe that's your church background where shame and guilt and condemnation was used against you, that's not from God. uh, this, This verse says that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. The sad part is, Most Christians never fully grasp this verse. They say they believe it, but then they live as if it's not true. Verse 2 says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You see, God wants to free you from your oppression. But more than that, he wants to rescue you from your slavery. You see, he led the Israelites in our story. He leads the Israelites out of Egypt, but they still needed their hearts to be rescued. And as long as, they're, they're, as, long as they remained stuck in their condemnation and in their, in, their, in their emotional shackles, and as long as they struggled to believe God's promises, they wandered and wandered and wandered. In fact, the Bible tells us they wandered. For 40 years. And a generation never moved on to cup number three. A generation never saw the promised land because they couldn't get their heads around and grasp this concept that there is no condemnation as long as you are a follower of Jesus. Your past, your sin, your circumstances, and the enemy. Can rob you of the more that God has for you. But God has made you a promise. He's given you authority over evil schemes, and He's given you a future that comes with absolute surrender and obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have a desire for us. You have a plan for us, you have a will for us that we would walk in absolute and complete freedom. For n- centuries at times the church has been guilty of using condemnation as a as a tool to control. But that was never the never the intent, that was never the plan. Your your plan was for us to walk in complete freedom. As we surrender our lives to you, you can begin to free us from our issues and our sins and the things that keep tripping us up, the things that keep dragging us down, the the things that keep uh, pushing us away. And as we begin to allow our spirit to lead, allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and not just give in, like Paul said, to do over and over the things that we don't want to do, as we begin to put our hearts in alignment with yours, we begin to experience and walk in true freedom. And when we're able to do that, God, we, we, we fully start to understand and embrace the purpose that you have for us. So God, let us get ourselves to a place where we can fully let go, put our trust in your promises and experience true freedom. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.